Welcome to Wireless Water Cooler, a special Tower Talk segment. Join Inside Towers Managing Editor Jim Fryer and Wireless Infrastructure Association President and CEO Jonathan Adelstein for some good old water cooler conversation about what's happening in the wireless infrastructure world. And here are your hosts. Welcome to Wireless Water Cooler. I'm Jim Fryer, Managing Editor of Inside Towers. And my podcast partner here is none other than Jonathan Adelstein, President and CEO of WIA. Hello again, Jonathan. Hi, Jim. Welcome back. We're going to be talking about the, uh, the Ninth Circuit decision that, uh, that happened a few weeks ago. And great guest for that. But before that happens, I thought we'd kind of, in the spirit of the wireless water cooler, Jonathan, at WIA, are there people still going back to the office or are you all isolated? We are pretty much working from home. Nobody's there. We go in to check the mail maybe a couple times a week, check for mice every now and then. We, they've, been, they've been spotted more than, more than men. So uh, <laughs> hope somebody cleaned out the refrigerator, right? <laughs> we did do that. Right. But whatever is left behind, there's food for, for, for the mice. Well, not working at an office and having for, for a while now, I'm used to the working at home. So I think people who have just started over COVID are learning some new things about how to discipline themselves. There are so many distractions of working at home that's easy to uh, lose focus. And I, I think I've pulled up a few surveys of what people miss most about working at an office. And that's, I think that's one of them is, is they, uh, uh, they like a proper dedicated workspace or still fighting with all the distractions that come out of, out of working at home. Do you find that to be true? Yeah, we actually uh, we're talking in our office happy hour about that. And people, one of the things they miss the most is the food. You know, apparently, um, like when we have an event, we have food. There's always leftovers, and it's always better than what people bring themselves for lunch. Apparently, and uh, they, uh, they we we have pretty good snacks in there. And people do miss. Speaking of water coolers, they miss talking around the water cooler and really seeing each other. But they are kind of frustrated. You use a change of scenery every now and then. Working from home, living at home. Uh, people miss that, but in D.C., they certainly don't miss the commute, I'll tell you that. Yeah, that's that's true. And pulling up the survey, I think what they do miss, especially when they're working in a nice urban area like, like you're in, that uh, uh, I've seen they miss the iced lattes they can get around the corner or the, you know, the, the myriad of, of choice, restaurant choices. Uh, you're, you're kind of stuck with uh, what your local fare is, <laughs> if you can get it. That's true. I mean, we had some pretty good choices in my neighborhood and courthouse, but I just uh, saw a survey this morning. A lot of people are spending their stimulus checks on like electronics and beauty supplies and things. So apparently maybe people bought their own latte machine at home using <laughs> tax dollars. And then I think that was another one of the things is you don't have a clear separated office set up yet at home, but I'm sure that's probably evolving as, as we go along here. But I, I think one of the other things I'm seeing is, they miss the, really miss the, the office banter. They miss, you know, just, just being able to chat with somebody, either it's over the next partition or the next office or down the hall and uh, miss the personal dynamic, the human dynamic of it all. That's what we miss the most. I mean, I hear from people just seeing each other and this is the water cooler and the water cooler back at our office is a great source of collaboration too. People really work together and now it's got to be more set and you do it all by Zoom or a call and just, I think we're missing some of that spark. Uh, we get the meat and potatoes of the job done, but that extra camaraderie and collaboration that leads us to the next level is just, it's just missing right now. And it's, can't wait to get back to the office. Yeah. 
watch a few episodes of uh, The Office, the people in Dunder Mifflin and Scranton, and maybe it'll remind you of their, some of the some of the more negative things. But <laughs> I, thought, I always found that show very amusing as, uh, as far as the, the dynamics and the politics and, and everything. And I think, I think a lot of people got engaged uh, by that because of the, uh, uh, they, they found so many similarities to their own office. I'm sure they're not all as, as, as farcical as that, but, but I think it, it did uh, bring a few things home to people. It's all about Scranton these days, politics and everything. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's a lot of things coming out of Scranton these days. Um, kind of brings us back to what we try to start here with the, with the water cooler is, is kind of simulate that, that office condition that uh, we're, we're just hanging around. We're talking about what happened over the week and uh, keep it informal. Now, having said that, uh, as I said, we have an exciting guest to talk about what happened last week. And there was a decision by the Ninth Circuit Court, officially called the City of Portland versus the FCC, where they questioned the FCC's one-touch make-ready offer and all of its subsections, the, the small cell order, the moratoria order, and, and the one-touch make-ready order were all major criticism, criticisms brought by dozens and dozens of major cities and, and medium-sized cities and, and a few a few associations out there. And um, that was just Wednesday recently overturned in a, in a two to one decision by the court. And it was largely lauded by the, by our industry uh, as uh, as a game changer, I think was a direct quote from the, from the chairman. So we want to break that down after all the, all the huzzahs have died out and all the cheering has stopped. Uh, we want to kind of take a minute to, to break that down and, and take a deeper look at what that means and, and how that's going to, affect the industry. And we've got no one better to lead us through that than Thomas Johnson Jr., who is the general counsel of the FCC. Mr. Johnson was the deputy solicitor general in West Virginia, working under the uh, attorney general's office, of course. He was an attorney with Gibson, Dunn, and Pratcher. And Jonathan, I will give you the honor of welcoming Tom to our broadcast. Well, Tom, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, really excited to have you here. Congratulations on a huge victory at, uh, at the court in the Ninth Circuit. Well, thank you so much, uh, Jim and Jonathan, for the uh, invitation. And uh, yes, we're, uh, we're very happy, very excited about this win out in the Ninth Circuit. I mean, this really reflects a team effort from my attorneys in the Office of General Counsel, really dating back to our work reviewing these three orders that were under review by the Ninth Circuit, that was back in 2018, and then briefing up the case, preparing for oral argument. We presented uh, three different advocates attacking, uh, you know, different aspects of these challenges before the Ninth Circuit uh, in a marathon oral argument that was held there at the beginning of the year before uh, everyone went into lockdown. And uh, so we were just waiting on this result and, um, uh, couldn't be happier, and really kudos uh, to my team and the attorneys that argued this case on this on this great victory. Well, it really was a big one, and maybe for our audience here, not lawyers, they're out there in the field. Nobody's more excited about this than the wireless infrastructure industry because it represents our ability to get out there and get things built, get it built quickly, efficiently, without excessive fees, without all kinds of red tape. Maybe uh, you could spell out for our our listeners, what this decision means for companies that are trying to bring connectivity uh, around the country. 
Absolutely. So the problem that we were facing in adopting these orders was rules that had grown up at the state and local level that were really adapted for an earlier generation of technology. Uh, Rules surrounding fee applications, rules surrounding uh, how long it takes uh, a municipality to rule on a particular application for a permit, a zoning application. Um, And uh, what we were finding was that a lot of states and localities were charging fees that were unrelated to the actual costs that they incurred when providers came in and tried to put uh, telecommunications equipment into these spaces, into the rights of way in different cities and towns. And when you look at how that framework would have operated, for this next generation of technology, 5G technology, which relies less on those big macro towers that you're probably used to seeing as you're driving down the road, relies much more on smaller backpack-sized small cell units, but many more of them, many more of them deployed um, on structures throughout a city, particularly in densely populated urban neighborhoods. And if you start multiplying out the number of applications you would need to file, the amount of time that would take, the amount of fees that you would be charged, particularly when cities sometimes are kind of keying those fees off of a provider's gross revenue or some other metric like that. What we found is that those costs, those fees and those regulatory costs would become prohibitive for effective deployment of 5G networks in the United States. That means higher costs for consumers, that means delay of services, that means that we start losing ground in the global race to deploy 5G networks. So this was a a situation that we deemed unacceptable and we used our authority under the Communications Act to preempt excessive fees at the state and local levels, to preempt uh, excessive uh, consideration, uh, spending too much time taking to to review those applications and other things. So, and as you mentioned, one touch make ready, which basically helps to streamline the process by which providers can uh, place uh, equipment, new sort of uh, wireless facilities equipment on existing utility poles. So the Ninth Circuit upheld most of our reforms almost, almost across the board. And so that is a huge win um, for consumers, a huge win for American leadership in 5G. Well, it sure is. Yeah, you mentioned you mentioned fees and sort of streamlining the timing. Uh, the shot clocks were upheld. So, bottom line for our our members is, you don't have to pay excessive costs. You only have to pay the actual costs, and you're going to have a shot clock that is tighter and that has been upheld by the court. So it's real. So you can get things done in a fairly quick time frame. Um, what does that sort of um, mean that the FCC's reasoning here was taken into account by the courts? What does that sort of spell out for the FCC's authority to help us get things done more quickly and more inexpensively so we can get more wireless infrastructure out to consumers? Yeah, well, I think it was a great opinion. It was a great example of an opinion that took a look at a a statutory framework adopted in 1996 at the advent of uh, the cellular revolution 
and took a look at how the FCC was adapting that framework for a new generation of technology. And I think the court recognized, look, times have changed. New times call for a new record, a new evaluation of the facts on the ground, new regulatory policies. And the court found that Congress had given us sufficient discretion to really update that regulatory framework from a 3G and 4G world into the 5G world. So I think it's a great administrative law opinion from that uh, perspective. It acknowledges the uh, expertise of the federal agency here, the FCC, in adapting old rules to fit a new regulatory and technological environment. Well, you really did have a big federal victory. And underneath that, we've been working uh, on the state level at the same time. I got to be honest with you, Tom, a lot of people thought this decision had some real challenges in the Ninth Circuit that it might not make it and are extremely pleasantly surprised that this was upheld. But we weren't wasting time. We were moving at the state level. We got 29 states in Puerto Rico to pass laws that very much put in place similar regimes to what the FCC's regime was. Maybe you could explain how this fits with those state laws with the federal umbrella now. Uh, and I know you actually relied on the fact that there were so many states that had passed similar laws in in the courtroom itself, as well as uh, in the reasoning of the order. Yeah, no, and it's a great point that we don't want to uh, lose sight of. Um, there are a lot of uh, state and local partners here who have been real leaders in creating a favorable regulatory environment for 5G services. I think they recognize that creating that positive environment is going to mean more jobs in their communities, is going to mean better services for consumers. Uh, I think what you have is really, um, you know, uh, a, a different mindset on the hand on 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 the uh, on the part of certain um, certain cities, municipalities who see this as an opportunity for rent seeking, who see this as a way to uh, sort of exercise that gatekeeping role because they know how important 5G services are going to be to their city, and so they feel that they can really extract some rents from the providers who are coming in and saying, we want to deploy here. And the reason the federal government has a role here, even though, you know, uh, we, we certainly respect the regulatory authority of the states, as I said, a lot of the states and cities are doing a great job here. But the problem is you're talking about interstate communications, interstate networks, right? They're not just deployed uh, one network in Austin, one network in New York. These are regional and nationwide networks. And so having a single city and a large city um, kind of dragging their heels and imposing excess costs, excess fees, that's going to have ripple effects uh, throughout the economy. And that's the kind of thing that we were trying to uh, prevent in uh, adopting our regulatory reforms. Well, you took the law that you had, the authority had under the law, and I think you, you used it to the maximum extent. And uh, amazing, it all got upheld, but there was one fly in the ointment. There was a part of the, um, of the decision that uh, disagreed with the FCC on aesthetic regulations. A lot of times we find that localities will use aesthetics to, to block uh, deployment. And, you know, there's a question, is it subjective? Is it objective? Uh, you know, what was the FCC trying to address with those reforms? And what do you think the court's decision means for compliance with, uh, with local requirements? Sure. Well, part of what we were trying to address there is uh, situations in which uh, localities would impose 
unreasonable aesthetic requirements, basically requirements that wireless facilities sort of resemble or look like their surrounding environment within a city or town, be it a historical district or a, a wooded area or something like that. Uh, and I think one thing that's important to keep in mind is that there were key parts of that aesthetic uh, regulatory reform that we put in place that were upheld by the Ninth Circuit. The Ninth Circuit did uphold the requirement that those local aesthetic requirements had to be technically feasible. They had they had to be reasonably related to the government's interest in uh, creating sort of a, 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 a um, aesthetically pleasing environment. It couldn't be imposed as a mechanism to deploy to to deny service. Uh, so there were aspects of it that the court sent back to the agency that, you know, we'll obviously have an opportunity to look at again. But I think that uh, there was still significant movement in the right direction uh, in that area. And, you know, one thing I want to point out about sort of how this works generally, I mean, we did not with this order, this is something we, we said to the court, I mean, we did not actually preempt any specific state or local ordinance. What we did was we created a federal standard that will enable providers to better negotiate with states and municipalities, will prevent those municipalities from making arguments and from imposing fees that they otherwise might not. And so that's really where the battle goes next is, as you were saying, Jonathan, the state by state deployment, negotiations, working with the, the local permitting authorities. Now that we know that the Ninth Circuit has upheld our orders in large part, it's gonna be a lot more difficult for them to uh, start operating, to continue operating as if the lay of the land hasn't changed here. You're, you're right, and we look forward to working with you on, on tying up those loose ends that court left uh, back in your hands. Um, you know, another area that you did win was on moratoria. Earlier, there was a moratoria order that was held, that was upheld by the court. And there is a lot of ways that localities would do a moratoria. They do outright moratoria, no deployment until we change our statute or some other, I don't know what the right word is for it. I don't want to use anything mixed language on, on a podcast. Or, you know, sometimes it was a de facto moratorium where the practical effect of the ordinance made it almost impossible to deploy. Uh, what did the court have to say about uh, the FTC's decision on, on those moratoria, be it de facto or, or outright? Right. Well, that was an area in which we, we won across the board and the court upheld uh, our adoption of a rule prohibiting uh, both express and de facto moratoria as reasonable. And, and, and as we said, um, you know, we're not, you know, we, we felt that a clarification was necessary because, um, you know, we don't think that a city that was looking to uh, prevent deployment of 5G technology would necessarily be so bold as to say, we're not considering these applications. I mean, we see, we've seen them use other sorts of measures such as adopting a temporary moratoria that then just gets renewed over and over again, or um, you know, using some other pretextual reason for essentially not considering uh, applications. I mean, at some point, um, you know, citing workload um, as a as an excuse, but never actually getting around to the applications. I mean, at some point, these things become de facto moratoria. And so, uh, again, I think this is an area in which the court saw that uh, it, it was reasonable that we had expertise. We saw that this is what was happening on the ground. And I think it's going to be a lot harder now for municipalities to play those sorts of games. 
That's right. They sure did uphold that 100%. And, and, you know, the case also dealt with another policy the FCC has been promoting, one-touch make-ready. It's really a common-sense policy, but it makes a big difference uh, by promoting access to utility poles when our members are trying to get access. It speeds up the process and, you know, getting service to more people more quickly. Uh, what do you think the course decision will uh, do to help our members uh, get access to polls and get, get things built? You know, again, I think it was a, a another sort of great sort of uh, practical and pragmatic decision that um, deferred to some of the practices that we were seeing that were uh, preventing uh, wireless providers from having access to polls, uh, things like providing engineering studies for uh, when providers would uh, do what's called overlashing, sort of putting uh, it, putting new equipment on top of existing equipment and wires. Um, things like uh, utilities saying, well, you need to correct sort of uh, pre-existing issues with the pole uh, before uh, be before you deploy, even if, if the wireless provider had nothing to do with creating some sort of structural integrity problem with the pole. And then also just um, delays in negotiation. I mean, we, we created a system here where what we're hoping is that the utilities have a seat at the table that they negotiate in good faith with the wireless providers to remedy these sorts of problems. I mean, we weren't so prescriptive that we, we accounted for and solved every potential issue that might come up. But what we did say was uh, utility can't simply decline to engage in that process, simply sit on their hands. At some point, the wireless provider is going to have a right of access to the poll. And we, we hope that that, uh, you know, lays the incentives where they ought to be because presumably the utilities are going to want to have some ownership of, of that process. And so that's going to bring everyone to the table to resolve some of these disputes. Well, you're right. That's another aspect of this big victory. And, and you know, looking ahead with such a lopsided victory on this and so many other issues, do you anticipate uh, we're going to get challenged here on appeal and and how are things looking based on, on how you read the, the decision? Well, we'll see. Um, you know, we'll see if, uh, you know, we, we receive any uh, petitions for rehearing or, or the like. I mean, I'm, I'm uh, fairly confident in this decision. I mean, it was by and large, um, you know, a bipartisan uh, uh, ruling from the court. It was well-reasoned. It was grounded in existing Ninth Circuit precedent, as well as the law of other circuits. So I, I don't see a strong basis for a rehearing here, but obviously we will deal with uh, whatever whatever petition or whatever else comes, comes through the door. Um, you know, as I said, I think uh, you know, you're you're going to see next uh, some uh, disputes arising in uh, circuits that have adopted different standards that conflict with the standard that um, you know the FCC has adopted here. I, I gave a talk for the uh, New York Wireless Association uh, back in February, and and they were telling me that some of the courts out there they just insist on applying the Second Circuit's uh, interpretation of uh, what's called Section 253, the uh, the section of the Communications Act we were interpreting here, that um, gives a lot of leeway uh, to states and localities to adopt rules that are onerous and would potentially uh, prohibit deployment. So now that we have this rule uh, affirmed by the Ninth Circuit, it'll be interesting to see how courts in other circuits uh, treat this rule now that now that it has survived a judicial challenge. 
Yeah, it is interesting. You won in a tough circuit. I mean, the Ninth Circuit is really difficult sometimes for the FCC and for, for those of us in the industry who want to see uh, policies along these lines. Uh, and just to kind of wrap it up, I'm going to challenge you here. The Harvard lawyer, we'll see if I get an answer out of you. But, uh, you know, we have a huge victory again at the FCC on Section 6409 reforms, which uh, have been challenged in the Ninth Circuit. 6409 allows us to basically co-locate on existing facilities, very strong authority from Congress and the law on 6409. And nevertheless, you know, no matter what you do, it seems like you get challenged at the FCC. I think this decision being as far reaching and as uh, affirming of the FCC's authority as it is, my guess is you go in with 6409, which is even more explicit, stronger authority, that it puts you in a good position going forward. What do you think about that? No, I completely agree, particularly when you look at, um, you know, the, the broad language in 6409 about, um, I was wrong, but a substantial, what, what is a substantial change? Um, I mean, that's the kind of broad delegating language from Congress that we would expect uh, the FCC to get a, a lot of deference on. And as you say, um, you know, the types of alterations that were considered to fall within and without um, the, the, the protection of that statute, some of the ways in which uh, concealment elements had been sort of uh, abused by state and local authorities. I mean, we were looking to clarify that so that both with, with respect to those old generation macro tower facilities and now the next generation of small cells that, um, you know, we have this additional uh, layer of, of protection in place that people can, you know, make changes to an equipment cabinet at the base of a tower without having to go through a whole new set of approval processes. So uh, I think you're right, the wind is at our back with this uh, ruling and, and, and we're hopeful that um, 6409 will turn out the same way. So well, that's a happy note to end a happy discussion. You know, we uh, really need good news and this is all good news. I mean, strong affirmation of the FCC's authority in an area that was a little trickier now. We got an area with stronger authority going forward at the challenge will probably get upheld. The industry is, is doing well. We're investing, we're building, we're seeing how important these networks are, especially with the pandemic. And it's really good news that the courts are recognizing how important it is that we get this done and upholding the FCC, who's doing everything you can to get broadband deployed, to support the efforts by industry to invest, to build uh, over sometimes spurious objections. And, and most municipalities, frankly, are doing a good job of working with us in partnership. We're getting these networks built. And you're helping us with those that are being recalcitrant, that don't recognize the, the broader interests. And, and you're, you're winning. Uh, really great news. Obviously, some excellent uh, lawyering going on, uh, Tom. Nice job. Uh, congratulations on that victory again. And, and we thank you for all the strong work on behalf of the public that needs um, broadband service. I learned a lot. I got a lot of more depth out of that than uh, that I had coming into it, and I hope our listeners did too. So uh, on behalf of myself and Jonathan Adelstein, uh, we will see you next month around the water cooler. Thanks a lot, guys. Thank you for listening to Tower Talks. To subscribe to our podcast, our daily newsletter, or use our other industry resources, please visit InsideTowers.com. Until next time, you've been listening to Tower Talks from Inside Towers, the wireless infrastructure industries podcast.